That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Dun 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 dun, Lent is coming, Jake. <laughs> It's right around the corner, but before we do that, we have the last Sunday of Epiphany, and uh, it's exciting. But before we do that, we always have to, you know, check in, make sure we're doing all right psychodynamically. And so, Aaron, how are you? I am doing well. (laughs) I have a day, Wednesdays are, we're recording on a Wednesday, Wednesdays are really full for me. I teach the Bible in the morning, I got a construction meeting, all kinds of things. I know you have a lot going on too. So if you are a preacher listening to us, just know that we are in the same boat of mm-hmm. uh, spread thin and hanging on. But uh, but overall, we're like I'm we're like Peloton well. instructors. We're doing it with you. That's right. We're in it. We're in it with you. I'm also. I always. I'm. They're in it with us. But are they? Because. I'm doing the strength training thing with Andy Spear, and he's like grunting, lifting the dumbbells. I'm like, bro, I'm looking at you, and I think you could probably be lifting twice that. I can't even talk when I'm lifting the dumbbells. (laughs) And he's like telling stories. I've noticed you uh, on at about five in the morning, you know? Yeah, dude, I'm getting up early. Your friend's on, and so 5 a.m. That's right. Yep, and then you pop in there, and you're like, high five, Zimmerman. And then I jump Uh, out, so. Yep. (laughs) Like, no, but I'm I'm with you. I like I'm like there is no way you're in zone seven talking like this. And so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> let's. Uh, what's on your resistance knob? All right, how are you doing, Jacob? I'm all right. I'm uh, like I said. When it, ooh, look at that three piece suit. Dang, Aaron. Oh. Yeah, I stood to... up to take off my jacket because the afternoon sun's coming in the window here in Waco, Texas, and it's little greenhouse effect in my office. So I had to, yeah, yeah, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a three piece. It was cold good, today huh? in Waco. It's like you look like you're degrees. going to the prom or something, some sort of fancy dinner tonight. But anyway. Well, um, you know, you always got to be ready. Like James Bond, you know, you never know when you're going to be in like. Uh, they're bringing out the fancy queso in, in, in Texas tonight. So, but anyway. That's right. That's right. The kind with not only the tiny red bits, but the red and green bits. <laughs> the Shinerbach spring ale. So anyway. <laughs> that's right. No, I'm doing all right. right but quit I making am, fun of me. I am. Just uh, you live in New York. I'm with you. I am. Uh, I am up to my eyeballs, and so. But we are doing well, and I'm excited about the future, and I'm excited about this episode of the same old song. So, um, and uh, just everybody, if you are listening, and this is your last chance, but it's never your last chance. But if you're like, what the heck am I going to do for my Sunday school curriculum? We want to encourage you to go to Storymakers nyc.com and get your Lent packages today. Um, It's amazing. They've got three different series and you can take your kids through that journey and they'll know a whole heck of a lot about Lent and a lot about Jesus by the time it's done. And this, yeah, this is Sunday School for Kids curriculum and I will, uh, just full disclosure, I am on the board of Storymakers and Jacob Smith is married to Storymakers. But I would endorse it if I wasn't. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's legit the best uh, kids curriculum 
like in the world. Yeah. So That's anyway, but board. here we are and we are Also, in... I'd like to talk about a weight loss product I'm using right now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's I eat essential oils and uh <laughs> spend a lot good. of time in the bathroom, but it's working. This episode brought to you by Dexatrim. So, I'm very anyway. lightheaded. I really don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> You look blurry, Jake. Yeah. But we're, we'll get through this. All right. Have some tea. Speaking of blurry vision, we're in this Sunday. It's the last Sunday after the Epiphany. And next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Lent. And so this is kind of like the high point. Uh, it's like, you know, Bruce Springsteen glory days. Mm-hmm. And then we're headed back down into the trenches as we hit Lent and start talking about super depressing things. Yeah. But today is kind of like this. Yeah, it's, it's the last hurrah. So we got... Uh, lots of people going up on mountains. We got lots of people with shiny faces. And uh, if you want to talk about Michael Stipe, you can. But uh, really, you want to talk about Moses and Jesus and all that. So we've got these readings, and they're from the first one, Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, uh, where Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law. And then we have 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2, which is St. Paul talking about what Moses was doing. And then we have Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36, with the optional passage to add 37 through 43a. Mm. And then, uh, and that's where we see Jesus up on a mountain getting shiny. So the first passage, Jake, Moses, Mount Sinai, talking with God, shiny face. He's got a veil on. How would you address this? Yeah, this is a very, very uh, powerful, powerful passage in the sense that it is a uh, a type and a shadow of things that are to come, uh, the encounter that is to come. And so here you have, and um, basically they are in the section where they are getting the instructions to build the tabernacle. And uh, God has brought the nation of Israel out into the wilderness uh, in order to dwell and meet with his people. And um, as you remember, uh, they were given commands and the the tablets, uh, they were broken. And so, but here Moses goes back up to the mountain and and, uh, he comes down with these two tablets of the law and he is shining when he comes down. And uh, he is shining because on a profound level, he is functioning as a mediator between, um, between God and Israel. And, uh, and uh, so in that glowing, it is demonstrating that he is having a divine encounter and the words that he is speaking is not his own. However, it's important to note that when you're preaching this, Moses isn't the final word, nor is the law. Um, and uh, uh, Moses's glory, it fades. And this is one of the reasons why in architecture and in art, sculpture, you'll oftentimes see Moses with horns coming out of his head, and everybody's like, "What yeah, is that about?" Michelangelo sculpted yeah. him with his two little horns. This is a well, that's actually his glow, and so, but his glow fades; it doesn't last. And uh, so, on in this way, Moses functions. If you're going to get right to the heart of it, Moses functions as a type and a shadow. He points to the greater Moses, Jesus, who fulfills this law and whose glory now never fades away. Uh, The other important thing that you probably want to touch on is that uh, Moses is only reflecting God's glory, as opposed to what we will see in a moment with the transfiguration, Jesus reflecting his own. This uh, passage to me 
portrays what we often think happens when we spend time with God. You yeah. know, we're all trained to have a little quiet time, go into your little nook and Finished my day pray. in the Eucharist. Yep, that's right, in Jake's little private lady chapel. And uh, you come out and you're supposed to be all kind of in a great mood and uh, your feet not quite touching the floor because you're just so spiritually fulfilled. But what this passage uh, gets at is the fact that um, that God's law and his presence, sans Jesus, is terrifying. That the fact that... Um, when they see his face shining, Aaron, who's the priest, the brother of Moses, and all the leaders of the congregation, um, ask him to veil his face. Um, uh, they, it says they were afraid to come near him. And this is not like a warm, comforting light. This is not the little candle in the window of the cottage that's glowing in the Thomas Kincaid painting. This is the kind of light that shines to reveal who you actually are. Uh, and everybody in humanity is a pretty mixed bag. And so there's, there's a wanting to veil this light. Um, and uh, I think it's just important to, to note that, that without Jesus Christ, God is kind of terrifying. Um, yeah, he's scary. Moses is, able, Moses is able to go up there and to see God face to face um, because of God's great mercy to he him. Doesn't see, he doesn't see God face to well, face. Well, not see God's face. That's right. He only gets to see his backside one time, and he's mm-hmm. even sort of hidden even that time. But, you know, when God first appears to Moses, it's in that burning bush, which is not burned up, meaning the judgment, the refining fire of God is there, but does not actually consume. So there's mercy for Moses at the beginning. But again, this passage uh, is one that I think, for Christians at least, is important to demonstrate um, what is... What God is like um, if we didn't have the revelation that's in Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a veiled nature to it. There's not quite seeing. There's a, a lot of fear and, um, and awe and distance and, and all of that. So I think it, for me, it would be hard to preach on just this passage alone because there's, I mean, it's great that God gives the law, but that itself is now, not going to get it done. This passage needs to find its fulfillment either... Um, um, uh, exegeted by St. Paul in our next reading, and then finding its fulfillment in uh, in the gospel, the transfiguration. So why don't we make our move next to 2 Corinthians Let's chapter 3, Let's 12 verses 4 through 2. Yeah, yeah. so anyway. Uh, so, I mean, here you have uh, Paul uh, articulating what's going on in Exodus and the Christian interpretation. And what would you say about this, Aaron? How would you preach what's about it? What's going on? Uh, so I would um, talk about this great contrast between what it is like to see God purely as a lawgiver, which again, most people think of God in that way. Like he's here to kind of set rules. And if you're a Christian person or a religious person, it's primarily about following rules. And um, most people, I'm sure Jake, you have experienced this as I have when they find out what I do for a living, they start apologizing and all these sorts of things. People see God as a lawgiver. And St. Paul wants to make a really clear distinction and say like, uh, that's that was the old covenant, uh, and it it's um, it's only a partial revealing of the character of God, and if you if that's all you know, there's a there's a veil, and it says only in Christ is the veil set aside, and so uh, the Spirit of the Lord removes the veil, as He says, that's where freedom is, and this gets to the main thing, as I said before, many people just primarily think of God as a lawgiver and a rules based kind of deity which 
is directly contradicted here in a sense where Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we have these unveiled faces and... Uh, and so, and, and, and this, it's by, and Paul make, underlines this, but says, by God's mercy, we're engaged in this ministry, this ministry of reflecting the glory of God and all this sorts of, so this is, uh, this, this just makes clear this distinction. And if I were preaching on this, I would probably really emphasize that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's absolutely and right. Because of what Jesus has done. And I would probably talk about the tearing of the curtain in the temple at the death of Jesus as a way of kind of um, symbolically and literally de- removing this veil that separates us from God and showing us that God's primary um, characteristic is, as we say in the prayer book, to have mercy. His property is always to have mercy. So that's what I would say about Second Corinthians yeah. chapter three. Yeah, I would say um, uh, I would say ver- um, I mean something very similar. I mean, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and this is. Uh, this was Israel's problem, and indeed, this is the whole world's problem, is that, um, I mean, Israel's problem right there on Mount Sinai, they saw Moses come down uh, with, they saw Moses engaged with God, like in the, in, like a one-on-one relationship, and he came down and his countenance is changed, uh, and that change is so scary Throw some, get a towel on his head, you know, one that says R J, period J. But anyway, that's inside joke. But yeah. anyway, like throw a towel on his head and cover that up because that is too, that sort of glow, that sort of shine is too terrifying on our own, you know. And so what I would rather have is a veil put on that and get back to uh, uh, doing things the old fashioned way and earning it. You know what I mean? And this is Paul's point, is that that is to put the veil right on Christ. It is not about earning anything. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their mind. Now, this just isn't a, this just isn't a, this is the way the natural man thinks, that I've got to climb my way to God. I've got to grit my teeth. This is why people, like you just said earlier, apologize when they're around us. They don't understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, um, but... But the powerful thing is, is that that light, that good news of the gospel is so powerful that when it is unveiled um, and when you begin to really understand it and that the glory of God is revealed in this crucified Nazarene who fulfills the law for us, the spirit gets involved and man, that that has the freedom to transform us and actually begin to set us free yeah. uh, into something different. And therefore, he goes, and so the therefore is very important in verse chapter four, because it connects everything that he's about to say to the previous thing. Since it's by God's mercy that we're engaged in this ministry, we don't lose heart. Uh, we've renounced the shameful things that one hides, and we refuse to practice cunning or falsified words because we've been set free from the law. The law is always accusing us. Where are you? Where are you? You know what I mean? And that's how you hear it, as an accusation, as opposed to in this veil where the freedom of the Lord is. It's where are you? And we can drop our guard and say, here I am for the first time, like all of the figures in the Old Testament who heard God and understood at least by faith, what that glory was all about. Yeah, and I think one of the other things, if you want preachers to say something about this, one of the really key things here 
is um, again, I feel like so much of Jake, our work as preachers is to undo so much of the bad legalistic, Ugh. moralistic theology that's out there. Yeah. Uh, and remind people that grace is actually true and God actually loves them. And one of the things that people are taught a lot is that be, okay, Jesus lets you in by his mercy and by his grace, but now it's up to you and you better, you know, get in line. And, uh, that's to veil. That's to veil the glory right there. Right. You just yeah. It's you're like okay, put the veil the back on, mm-hmm. and it's like so. You're yes, you're justified, but now sanctification is up to you. And um, the thing here that he says at the end of chapter thirteen, or chapter three, verse eighteen, is all of us with unveiled faces, meaning totally forgiven, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image. Woo! Just pause. We're being transformed into that same image. That is huge. <laughs> That doesn't happen unless you've been totally forgiven and washed in the blood to be transformed in the same image. And then he says, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now note who is doing the action. Fleming Rutledge always says, who's the subject? Who is, and and who's who's the object? Who is doing the action? God is doing the action. The Spirit of the Lord is doing this. This comes from the Lord, the Spirit, not from your trying hard and white knuckling and clenching your teeth and just trying to get through it. Um, and it's it's we are being transformed, and this comes from the Lord. We just uh, we just look at the glory of God. I mean, it, we just we're supposed to just be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection, and then and then the Spirit does the work. So that's that's what I would want mm-hmm. my people to walk out saying, God is doing something in me, and maybe His timing is a lot slower than I would want, but He's the one that's doing it, and it's actually all done. Uh, and all I need to do is just keep looking at Jesus and His and His love for me. Yeah. Well, and how do you? Uh... Um, uh, only the the apostles for a brief moment saw uh, the full glory, but the real glory, I mean, as we oftentimes encounter it, is in the cross, and uh, and that or is a so, monstrance. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> Sorry, are being, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I mean, sometimes that can actually look like um, like a decline in life. You know, mm. sometimes that can look like. Um, Gosh, I mean, as St. Paul would say, being the chief of sinners. And so, uh, but, but I mean, but the, free, the freedom of the Lord doesn't necessarily mean like, ah, everything's better. Uh, the freedom of God actually opens us up to confession and the continuing, continued revealing of our uh, dark hearts. And this is why he says we don't lose heart, you know, because uh, we're engaged in this ministry that's constantly exposing us. And, you know, when we're exposed to those things, we don't like cover them up and once again throw the veil. But we renounce those shameful things that one hides. Yeah. We refuse to, pra- you know what I mean? It, there, there is freedom to confess and in the freedom to confess, there is freedom to absolve, and there's freedom uh, uh, to really walk in the glory of God, uh, which sometimes can look really messy, and a lot of times look really messy, and a lot of the times looks really beautiful. Yep. Well, speaking of beauty, now turning to Luke chapter 9, mm. where we see Jesus mm. uh, take off the veil of his kind of human appearance, and not just appearance, he was fully human and he had DNA and all that, but he reveals uh, his, like, in a way that the disciples can understand, his divinity through what is called the transfiguration, and this is uh, Jesus taking Peter and John and James, his uh, circle of trust disciples, they go up to this mountain 
the Mount of Transfiguration. The text doesn't trust. identify which one it they is. They brought their drum. <laughs> that's right, for the, circle, for the drum circle. And they're going up there, and it says, while he's praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Now, please, don't preach this to your people. Like, if you pray, you too will experience the glory of God. It's not, That's this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. He is God, and this is what happens when he prays. This is not I do picture Cocoon. And yeah, coming out right. glowing. Friends. Very old movie so with banana. Jessica Tandy. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Uh, so while he's there, Moses and Elijah appear. They're talking. And Jesus is radiating light. And, uh, and they're talking. And they're not talking about just anything. They're talking about his departure, Jesus' passion, which it says he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Um, and it, it's sort of amazing. Peter... And James and John are sleeping through this. This is a great picture of human agency, like in how spiritual <laughs> transformation happens. God does stuff, you're asleep. And <laughs> uh, right. and even then when you wake up, you're still kind of a knucklehead because Peter's like, let's just make some booths here and we can stay and maybe we can charge admission. You know, it's yeah. a great attraction. Moses and one and then Elijah and then Jesus, you can be the main attraction. And and so he just he doesn't know what he's saying. It says he doesn't know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And then God comes and talks and says, "This is my son, my chosen, listen to him." Which this is one of the you can preach many things about this passage. We've said There's kind of a lot. lot that it's like Moses versus Jesus, kind of law versus gospel, uh, rules versus grace, veiled versus unveiled. There's all this stuff in there. But one of the things I think is really important if you're talking about that and how God is not here to enforce the rules but to set people free and to forgive them, one of the things you can say, and this to me this is my favorite way to preach this passage, um, the fact that God says in verse 35, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Because Moses is there and Elijah is there and he doesn't say listen to all three of these guys. He says listen to this one. Listen to Jesus, because Moses' word, true as it was, was the law. Elijah's word, true as it was, was reminding people to keep the law, or else. Mm -hmm. Jesus comes to give something different. And so many times in the church, it feels like, as I think, Jake, I don't know if you came up with this word, but gospel, like Mm -hmm. it's gospel with the law kind of together. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like what I said earlier, like... You're forgiven, but don't get too crazy. And um, Christianity feels like, yes, there is sort of this like escape valve in that there's some forgiveness, but really it's mostly about you trying to be better all the time on your own behavior. Um, And that's basically saying, Jesus, Moses, it's 50-50, like make sure you listen to both of them at the same time. And that's not what God says. He says, "Here's, here's Moses, here's Elijah, here's Jesus. Listen to this one. And I think that's so important to say that's who he singled, that's who God the Father says we need to really be listening to. So yeah. anyways, that's what I would say about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And just to take it uh, to, to, to enrich that point, um, you know, Peter wants to put, because he thinks that, as you said, all, all three are, um, are on par and there is nothing could be further from the truth. Um, and uh, Jesus, not only do they give us just simply law, but Jesus fulfills their ministry because mm-hmm. you have Moses Amen. as the full the the embodiment of the law. 
all of the law, and you have Elijah who's the embodiment of all of the prophets. Uh, Jesus is not on par with them. Uh, you know what I mean? Jesus is just not a different expression, as some people want to say. Um, the Christian position is, is that he fulfills them. And then uh, this is embodied not only with the word that comes, this is my well-beloved son, listen to him, because he's the full revelation. But when the cloud departs, he is there alone. They are no longer actually necessary. Um, you know what I mean? Because he is uh, fulfilled it all. And, uh, and, uh, and they kept silent in those days, told no one any of the things they had seen. I mean, that must have just been shocking. Bo Geertz, in his awesome book, Through My Own Eyes, describes this scene through uh, John. And it says that they're up there kind of camping, hanging out. And John wakes up and he's like, did we oversleep? Because it's yeah. like daytime. This is how bright it is. Jesus yeah. is radiating and it's not reflecting the glory of God. He is radiating it. And so, but the real interesting thing, especially if you want to do like kind of a preview of Lent, is in 37 to 43a. Don't you dare go to B. And so, but, uh, um, you know, uh, 37 to 40, because... With mountaintop experiences like Peter, I mean, we all want to hang out. I mean, I've had a couple of experiences recently where I'm just like, dude, this is this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? This is where I want to be, and I don't want to ever go home. This foie gras is so uh -huh. delicious. I never want to leave. I just, I'm going to throw it out there as a plug. But, man, I mean, the chapel at Duke Divinity, the Anglican Episcopal Worship Service at Duke Divinity was one of those moments. I was like... This is an incredible, incredible experience, and uh, I just mm. like to stay here forever. And we have those moments, and then uh, you've got to go back to the reality of life. And, uh, and that's what it says on the next day when they had come down, uh, guess what? Uh, the crap really hits the fan. Um, the disciples are there. There is a kid who's got is possessed and shrieking, and it's insane, and... Um, and uh, they can't get the job done. And how many of us have experienced that? We've prayed, we've done all of these things, and, uh, and, uh, and it just doesn't seem to work. And the truth is, is that life is never lived on the mountaintop. Um, oh, you need the mountaintops from time to time. But life is actually lived um, in the valleys. And this is where we're moving to, and the journey we're moving to in Lent, and this is a preview of it. Uh, where we are reminded once again that while we get a little taste of God's glory, um, we still need to cling to Jesus because deep down there's also the faithless and the perverse that exists at the same time. Yeah, and I would add uh, two, one kind of little PS, and I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before when we talked about this passage, but one thing that's sort of amazing about Moses' appearance here is that Moses died before ever reaching the promised land because yeah, he of his sin. And he just, yeah, he got to see it far off. And I, I think there's something really beautiful here about Moses actually getting to be in the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, the, that he, there's, a, there's forgiveness for him. There's kind of a grace and a mercy there. Yeah. And it just shows that when even many of us will die with unfulfilled hopes, with great regrets, things we wish we could have done differently, but really can't get a do-over. And this, to me, is just a way of saying that in God's way of doing things, that mercy finds a way and even death is not the end of god's mercy Holy so crap. i would say that's that to people great i mean hey you know you heard it here like that's a freebie so so i there's people in your in your congregation that have had 
broken relationships that will never be repaired because the other person has died, for example, a parent that you were estranged from or whatever. And here Moses dies with this unresolved situation. Now he gets to show up in the promised land with Jesus. I mean, this mm-hmm. is so beautiful. Yeah. So there's grace even for Moses in this, in yeah. this passage. There's actually, um, he's never really mentioned again after Deuteronomy. Yeah. It's like he's Moab. like dead somewhere in yep. the hills of Moab, like outside of Jordan. <laughs> no one knows where the yeah. hell it is. And uh, yeah. just, oh, my God, and there he is. And then the final thing I would say on this passage is um, it's wonderful to see. I mean, this is sort of like your, your Duke Chapel experience. It's wonderful to see the glory of God. It's wonderful to see this glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ here. Um and, you know, Peter and the disciples don't get it. Unlike the face of Moses that terrified people here, there seems to be a graciousness in it. Um, but Jesus didn't come simply to reveal his glory. And the important thing is that he chooses to go back down on the mountain. You think about, the, you know, the next Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent is always Jesus getting tempted in the desert. And that's a paradigm for Jesus getting um, offered what he wants uh, getting offered some easy way out and him always choosing to be counted with the transgressors, him always choosing to stay with us and to finish his ministry, him always. So like in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'll say, let this cup pass, but no, not my will, thy will be done. Uh, when he's tempted by Satan in the desert, he's offered all these things. He says, no, I, you know, I came to do my mission. And even here, he could stay up on the mountain. And Peter himself is offering this temptation to Jesus. Let's stay up here where things are great. Think about the money we could make raking in, charging admission for this, see the three great prophets. Um, but no, Jesus himself goes back down into the trenches, into the muck. And because he comes to die. Uh, this is what he's talking about with Moses and Elijah. So we need far stronger medicine than just seeing Jesus being amazing. Uh, we need him to die and to rise again for us. And so it's just another way of showing God's great love and his determination to save us, um, yeah. even when he's offered the alternative. And I think, uh, you know, the last line there, and all were astounded at the greatness of God. You know, mm-hmm. and I think when you um, realize the world's God always stays on the mountaintop. The world's God expects you to ascend to the mountaintop and, uh, you know, um, shine shine a little brighter. You know what I yep. mean? But, um, but the God of, of, of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ, always descends, descends from the mountaintop, always descends uh, to the plane of the cross, always descends into hell itself in order to save us. And, um, yeah. and uh, when, when that glory is understood and fully unveiled, uh, there's nothing left to do but be astounded at the greatness of God. Yeah, we don't we don't go up the mountain to find God. In this passage, Jesus brings them up on the yeah, mountain. Yeah, that's right. He brings them and then shows them who he is, but then he takes them back down to show him that God is also in the valley. And there's this whole, you know, every New Yorker cartoon about go find some spiritual guy up on the top of a mountain, and it's it's old cliche. And like you said, that's how we often think of spirituality, having to go find God on some mountaintop. Mm-hmm. And the beauty and surprise of Christianity is that God leaves the mountain and comes down to where we are, um, which is what we need. Because if I have to climb a mountain, man, it's not going to go well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I'm toast. Well, there it is. And uh, 
have a wonderful uh, last epiphany, everybody. Uh, get your uh, almond cake in while you can, your little king's cake, and uh, mm. enjoy Shrove Tuesday, and we'll see you very soon for a special episode of Ash Wednesday. Today's podcast brought to you by Duke, a Methodist school founded with tobacco money. <laughs> Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. You